What a gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer. That's what, this, that's what the song that we just sang, that hymn. There's no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold my hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing, all is mine. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. You know, when you think of that song, when you, you think of the, just the wonderful words of what was said, what images come to mind when you uh, consider the saints of old? Talk about followers of Christ who have come and gone throughout the pages of Scripture. What images come to mind? And by that, I'm, I'm, just, I'm referring to whatever characteristics or qualities they had insofar as what the Apostle Paul was like. What was the Apostle Paul like, or Peter, or John, or one of the Apostles? Or what was Joseph like, or what was Mary like? Or what about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? What was He like to walk with Him and to talk with Him, to eat with Him? What was it like? I mean, all of us have, I think, that uh, sense of wonder concerning the saints of old. And, and since we're looking at excerpts of Peter's letter that was written to a scattered church because of persecution, it just seems apropos to get a sense of wonder concerning the apostle Peter. I mean, consider for the moment what happened in the book of Acts, particularly chapter 4. Perhaps you may remember until I tell you this, Peter had just been preaching the gospel, and in his course of doing so, he ran into a, a man who was lame. And so he miraculously healed this man. By any chance, would anyone remember that, that particular incident? If not, I mean, we could turn to the book of Acts chapter 4, verses 15 through 20. Let me just go ahead and just read it for you. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place throughout them is, through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name." And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, note this, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. It's pretty bold, right? I mean, can we agree that just a perusal of what we just read would lead us to the conclusion that Peter was quite the evangelist? Right? Quite bold in what he was saying and what he had said. Can we agree that Peter emphasized the, central, the centrality of the cross and the gospel of Jesus Christ once and for all delivered to the saints? I think we can agree with that, right? I mean, how about if we were just to take a step back and look at some previous verses of Acts chapter 4, verses namely 8 through 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for the benefit of, of the benefit done to a sick man as to how this man had been made. Well, let it be known to all of you 
And to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. And then he goes on to say, he is the stone which you rejected. He was rejected by you, the builder by which became the chief cornerstone. And then he says this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. It's pretty bold, right? I mean, it seems apropos insofar as the kind of things we would expect from a roughshod seasoned fisherman, right? I mean, perhaps we may not have expected that coming from from Peter, but nevertheless, it's there because if we take note of what he said in his other letter in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 7, he says this, Now, for this reason, this is what seems quite unexpected. That's what I mean by this. Now, for this reason, also, applying all diligence in your faith, supplying moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, And note this, and in your brotherly kindness, he says, love. And that's what we want to do, well, at least the best we can to emphasize, because Peter lay this upon the feet of the church, and that is the fruit of biblical love. You know, he says this in his first letter, particularly in chapter 4, note verse 8, above all, keep fervent in your love, note that word, love, For one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Love was at the forefront of his mind, right? I mean, at least, unless we forget that that's the controlling verb, the controlling verb which has framed this this discussion we've been going through this entire time, he said this, and I remind you, make every effort to add to your saving faith what? Love. Love. With that in mind, I want to look at a portion of grace, particularly in the Old Testament. And if you would turn with me to the book of Ruth. If you don't have a Bible, you could grab one under your seat there. That would be on page 199 of your, if you, are, you want a hard copy, or if you have an electronic copy. I have no idea what page that would be on. I just, just go to Ruth. <laughs> Ruth chapter 1. As many of you may be aware, we're doing a series entitled Hope for Fruitful Service. We've been looking at each of the seven characteristics of a, of a fruitful life in Second Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, along with selecting an Old Testament character sketch that seems to exemplify those characteristics. You know, there are a number of individuals in this room. You've been saved, you've been bought, you've been bought with a price, redeemed from the marketplace of sin. He's given you uh, um, characteristics uh, you, that, which you have spiritual gifts that are different from one another, and some of those particular gifts, no doubt that they're different, but they shine more so than anything else, right? And so there's a particular characteristic about you than me, and if that is in the case of all of us who are here in this room, then there is a particular characteristic that shines forth in the life of Ruth, and that is she, was, she exemplified love. Love. In the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 4, the Apostle Paul notes that in the Old Testament, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. Why? Purpose clause, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures that we might have what, church? Hope. 
That's the reason why. The reason why the Lord saw fit to, to, to bring about cert, certain events in the Old Testament text was for our instructions. Why? So that we might have hope. Other than our Lord's perfect example, and He is the, the best and perfect example that we will ever have and ever know, there are other examples in the Scripture text that we can look at, but I want to look particularly at the woman that we know as Ruth. And as we do so, as we do this, this overview of the book of Ruth, what I want you to consider, I want you to consider four evidences, four evidences of a person who is diligent at growing in biblical love. I mean, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of attributes about, uh, about Ruth that we could look at, and you know how we have, you know, our basic outline, and we can look at four points, three points, two points, one point, but there's so much in the scripture text concerning who this woman is, we can only look at four of those evidences of her life and who, is she, who she is and um, how we can apply it to our life. But let's just go ahead and get started. Can we start with an introduction with who she is? Uh, she is an interesting character in the Old Testament text of Scripture. She lived in very interesting times. She lived in or during the period of the Judges. That's the period between the exodus of God's people out of Egypt and the reign of King David. You have the swath of time in between known as the period of the Judges. There was no king during this period of time. Her era of history was characterized by rampant idolatry, the worship of false gods, and bondage to a foreign nation. Israel would go ahead and they'd cry out. If, you, if there's a theme of the book of Judges, it would be rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. <laughs> to put it simply, Israel would cry out to Yahweh. And what would Yahweh do? He would send a deliverer by means of a judge. Hence, you get the book of Judges. The cycle of the book of Judges, if you, you could sum it up this way, you have disobedience, deliverance, disaster. Disobedience, deliverance, disaster. Israel would go into a state of disobedience and the Lord would, would send a deliverer and if they didn't listen to or take heed to the deliverer or the judge, it would become disastrous upon what would happen to Israel. That's the cycle over and over and over again, over again. And those were the circumstances that Ruth found herself in. That's where she, that's, that was her circumstances. It was such trying times in those days. You know, I, I've said this before, but I think it bears repeating. We have it good in this country. You know, you could point to a lot of the bad things, but if anything that I can say, and I think we can all agree with, that we are bathed in a common grace across this country, so many freedoms, so many things that we enjoy, nothing like the period of the judges in which she lived. In fact... In the case of Ruth, we find out that in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Ah, oh, that's not good. That is not good. And what, did that, what does that tell us about where you and I are in the history of God working with his people? They needed a redeemer. Just like we need a redeemer who is Christ, who is our Lord, who came to redeem a people for himself. They needed a redeemer back then as well. They needed one who had the power to break the power of sin 
such that the cycles did not repeat themselves. Remember, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. They desperately needed a king who could lead them into the kind of peace and joy they so deeply desired. Unless we need reminding, herein lies the story. You start off with, say, verse 1 of Ruth. It says, this is, this is where it all begins. This is enter stage 1. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. Enter Naomi. Naomi was a Jewish woman who lived in Bethlehem. She had a Moabite husband named Elimelech. Elimelech. They had two sons named Mahlon and Kilion. All three, by the way, Elimelech and their two sons passed away. They died very early on in the book. And we don't know why they died. We don't even know why the circumstances surrounding their marriage. We don't know why, how that, t- how that took shape. All we know that is, according to the Old Testament, Israelites were forbidden to marry anyone outside of Judaism because to do so would be to adopt the idolatry of the nations. And Israel did that over and over and over again, and their trouble was beyond perplexing, and that's an understatement to say the least. And we don't really know the specifics to their marriage, but be that as it may, the famine got so bad in Bethlehem, in that surrounding area, that the man Elimelech took his family away from Bethlehem and took them to the land of Moab. Oof, that's not good. That's not a good land at all, but perhaps because it may have been one of the only places they could survive the famine. I mean, a guy's got to do what a guy's got to do. He's got to protect his family, right? But of all places, you think, because it's a land filled to the brim with idolatry. And to make matters worse, Naomi knew all too well that Moab was the enemy of Israel. And so she wouldn't be liked very much. And so by virtue of her Jewishness, by virtue of her Judaism, life wouldn't be easy for her. I mean, I think we, at that point we should consider to pause how hard it was because Moab is a pagan land with full of foreign gods, and going to Moab was playing with fire. It wasn't safe for her, but she had a husband who was a, a Moabite who was her protector. And then you get to verse 3 in Ruth chapter 1, verse 3. Elimelech, I already said this to you, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, right? And she was left with her two sons who eventually die later. We'll get to that. And so what does she do? She's essentially by herself, right? She's in a foreign land, full knowledge of the fact that the the Moabites were her sworn enemy, and her husband is no longer there to shield her, no longer there to provide for her, to to protect her. She's an alien in a foreign land. I mean, think about it. What would you do if you were in a foreign land? And what's the most natural thing that you would do? You would perhaps go back to what you are familiar with, right? You would go back to a familiar people. You would want to go back home. And so that's what she does. Naomi has two daughters-in-law. Orpha and a woman named Ruth. And Naomi tells them to go back to your land. I basically, she says, I've got nothing for you. Listen to what she said. 
Return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. <laughs> wow. Right? May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and they just wept. They wept. Naomi was depressed. She believed that the Lord had abandoned her, leaving her with nothing. In other words, she's essentially saying, Orpah, Ruth, I've got nothing for you anymore. I've got nothing. I'm a bitter woman. Yahweh has let me down. Has not provided for me. Lost my husband. You, you, you might as well just go back and worship somewhere else. God be with you. Orpah took Naomi up on her suggestion, and she leaves. And we never hear from her ever again in the pages of Scripture. Orpah's gone. She's gone. She disappears. But what about Ruth? She didn't do that. I mean, you think she was a Moabitess, right? She thinks she'd just go back to what is normal for natural for her. It's comfortable to be where she's at. She doesn't do that. She stays. She stays with Naomi. And I think at some point, how do we know this? Well, at some point, in the midst of all of the, 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 the famines and what's going on, she had surrendered her life to Yahweh. She had surrendered her life to the Lord. And her incredible statement of faith is actually recorded to us in verse 16 and 17. Listen to what Ruth said. Don't urge me to leave you, Naomi. <laughs> or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. You see that? Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me. And worse, if anything but death parts you and me. Wow, that's love. <laughs> wow. She wanted to be with Naomi. She didn't want to depart from her hip. And not only do you see the Lord's redemptive work taking shape in any circumstance, but I think we see what Peter referred to in his letter. Make every effort to add to your saving faith. I'll say to you again, faith, church, what? Love, right? Love. And so Ruth and Naomi, they're together, right? They go back to Bethlehem. They go back to, to what is familiar to them. And the women from the town see Naomi coming with Ruth. They say, is this Naomi? They know who she is. But do you remember Naomi's response? Here's her response. Don't, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. It means bitter in the Hebrew. For the Lord has dealt very bitterly, bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? Wow. I mean, if this does not illustrate how bitterness can affect one's pattern of thinking and behavior, I don't know what is, right? So what do we do? What's going to happen to Naomi? What's going to happen to her? I went out full during the famine and the Lord has brought me back empty? Wow. That's a level of sadness that is amazing. How does one even approach a person with such an overflow of bitterness, such, as, such that she chose a name that defined her very identity? 
call me Mara. Call me bitter. Call me bitter. I'm full of bitterness. Life has been so hard. So what do you do? What do you do? And I think the answer is seen in Ruth's reaction as we try to treat a person like that with what? Sometimes you just got to love hard. You got to love hard. Ruth goes out to glean in the field. That's what she does. She goes out to glean in the field in order to find food, not just for her, but for her her embittered mother-in-law. And as the Lord's providence would have it so, her love is rewarded by a man who turned out to be what is known as in the Old Testament her kingsman redeemer. It's called the kingsman redeemer. Related to her deceased husband in a way that he could actually pay to redeem his property and make Ruth his wife. Later they would bear a son whose identity we'll discuss soon enough. But Peter says that followers of Jesus Christ should apply all diligence to supply to our faith the spirit of fruit-bearing love. And what are the four characteristics of of that evidenced in the life of Ruth? And I think we can start off with number one. We can start off with saying that Ruth loved God by committing herself to him. Ruth loved God by committing herself to him. What Ruth does is nothing short of supernatural love, which is given to her from above. We know that because love is one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. It says so in Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. (laughs) It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. But he starts off and he says it's love. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's given from above from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. When a person repents and turns away from your sins, surrendering your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit of God takes residence inside your heart and life. 1 Corinthians reminds us about that. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. How do you do that? Sometimes you've got to love. The Lord has supernaturally endowed us with the fruitful spirit of love. I mean, perhaps you're having a rough week, right? We've all, have, we've all had rough weeks, <laughs> right? Perhaps you're having a rough month. Perhaps it just feels longer than most weeks, you know, and, and you just, you're struggling with bitterness and love just seems so far away, right? Perhaps there's someone who's here, you've had a, You've had a tough lot in your life, part and parcel of our spiritual endeavor, insofar as as a life of growing sanctification is the application of applying all diligence to your saving faith, love, right? And perhaps one of you saints in this room, you could come alongside the person who's having a who's having difficulty with bringing out that fruit of the spirit. And you could show them that you love them. And at least from an Old Testament perspective, people were justified, right? People were justified, brought into a personal relationship with God on the basis of their faith. And what Old Testament character is used as an example in the, in the New Testament and the Old Testament to illustrate that point? I mean, you could look at Romans chapter 4, verse 3. We talk about Abraham, right? Abraham believed God and it was credit to him as righteousness. That's what Ruth did. That's what Ruth did. In contrast to a culture of Jewish people 
who wouldn't acknowledge God as their king and who instead did whatever is right in their own eyes. And they suffered because of it. What does she do? Just look at her life. She entrusted her faith and life into the Lord's hand to which the Lord would use Ruth's life as a conduit of blessing to which Naomi would eventually have a softened heart and love would return to her in the face of such unspeakable grief. We know that Ruth and Orpha's husband, or Naomi, rather, Naomi's husband's passed away, which leaves only Naomi, Ruth, Orpah, as you may recall. Eventually, Ruth's husband passes away too. Orpah lost her husband. We don't know when. We just know that the, perhaps during the famine. I don't know. We just know that Orpah lost her husband. She goes back to the, to the land of her upbringing. She's never heard from again. Ruth is grieving too. And in the faith of such unspeakable grief, because she loses her husband, We can turn now even to the Savior and comfort of our souls. Has he not made that available to us, Christian? Has he not made his love available to us? Such supernatural love for us? Perhaps you and I might be here. You know, perhaps you you might be here and you've you've not yet become a Christian. You might be saying, look, I I can't figure out what's going on in my life. I'm I'm going through this and and that. I've been thinking about life and death. I've had a... uh, a very embittered life, a tough life, but I turn around and everywhere I look in the providence of God, there's, there's Christians just doing nice things for me, showing biblical truths I've not even considered before. I read this blog, I watched this show or that show, and I can't get Christ out of my mind. What in the world is going on? And perhaps, perhaps you could be the next Ruth, maybe, right? Do I dare say that? The same Redeemer King who drew a Moabitess widow to him Self just may be in the process of doing that with you. Have you ever thought about that? All the circumstances in your life in which the Lord brings a Christian to follow Jesus Christ in your life to show you what? To show you love, care, and concern. Maybe he's in the process of drawing you to himself. But the question is, how are you going to respond to that? How are you going to respond? Perhaps you may say that you're not going to do that as long as I have to live around such and such, right? But do I have to remind you of what Ruth was dealing with with Naomi? Need I remind you of who Ruth was living with, although others were becoming bitter? You look at Ruth, you look at her life, it was an amazing portrait of grace. She was the one who loved God and trusted Him, even when others didn't. I mean, that's the process, right? That's the process. God has placed His love on us, and since He has done that, the overflow of our hearts should be to bear love for others in difficult circumstances. Well, that's one aspect, right? I mean, let's, well, can we, I mean, can we learn a little bit more about Ruth? I think we can. How about Ruth loved God by trusting his word? Look, it all, again, it, 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 it points back to him, ultimately. Ruth loved God by trusting his word. That's chapter 2. You know, it's been, it's been said that love is an action verb, right? Love is action. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, Right? So chapter 2 describes Ruth saying to Naomi, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. What that was referring to was the Old Testament principle of gleaning. Gleaning. Landowners were to show concern for 
for those who were poor by allowing them to follow behind the reapers and pick up what may have been dropped or unpicked. But that's only going to work if someone has a kingsman in Israel. That's only going to work if someone owns the land. They need a kingsman redeemer. That's what needs to happen. And in, and in, in doing so, in, in, in those days, again, Israel was not in a good place doing what was right in their own eyes and not following the Lord. But keep in mind, Ruth didn't obey in a sinful sense. She obeyed in a righteous sense. She loved God, and you could see it in her action, in her behavior. She wasn't just going to go look for food for herself out of love. She was going to go ahead and look for food, not just for herself, but also for her embittered mother-in-law to whom she loved with a willingness. What she exemplified was a willingness to exert effort to demonstrate her love. The Lord chose to bless Ruth with abundance. But what's interesting is how the Lord was pulling the providential strings behind the scenes in the course of Ruth's life, because in verse 3, we read in chapter 2, it says that she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. Ah, here's where it gets interesting. Who was of the family of, guess who? Elimelech, the one who passed away. Naomi's husband who passed away. And so Boaz owns this field. And it just so happens to be, again, related to Naomi's deceased husband. Just so happens. We know, we know what happens when we, we hear that in the text. We, you can interpret that as providence, right? God's providence. Ephesians 1.11, God works all things according to the counsel of his good will. He's, this is what he's doing in the life of Naomi, Ruth, and a man named Boaz. They meet in the field. And he treats her with incredible grace. Boaz invites her to stay in the same field, and he warns his other servants not to touch her. Don't you touch her. Because she's Jewish, right? Most of the servants are probably not that. And even ensured that she has enough water to drink while she works. And what does she do? I mean, how in the world does she respond? With incredible humility, incredible humility. In light of God's blessing, listen to what she said. She fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why? Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Boaz replied to her, All that you've done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband and has been fully reported to me, and, and how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth, and came to a people that you didn't previously know? He was amazed by that. Absolutely amazed by that. We don't try to grow in biblical love because of what we might have, but, but by what we might receive in return, right? But in this hateful, selfish world in which we live in, try to, trying to grow in biblical love very well may be noticed, right? I mean, just how could Ruth have acted in such humility, I think the very next verse explains it. Looking to the Lord for security. That's, what, that's the only way that we can understand that in this way. Verse 12, May the Lord reward you, your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek 
refuge. <laughs> That's amazing. Now Boaz seems to be turning to the Lord, and in fact, he did. What keeps us from working at loving those the Lord has placed around us? What keeps us? And I think it's because we can be so selfish, right? We can be so selfish. I've got to have more stuff for me, more pleasure, more material possessions, more approval, more love for me. And in every one of these, those examples and so many more we could, we could name, I mean, what in the world is going on? Trying to find refuge in, in, in things that will never, ever, ever, ever satisfy. We have a lot of stuff, me, 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 but they never satisfy. And when we're finding our security and refuge under the wings of God, what does that free us up to do? Do I need to remind you? Make every effort to add to your faith what? <laughs> love. Love. Are you pausing and asking the Lord how you're doing at that? How you're doing at trying to grow in this aspect of the Spirit's work in your life? I mean, how would you evaluate yourself on growing in biblical love? I mean, I think the next part of the narrative is absolutely amazing. Around lunchtime, Boaz, Boaz comes. He asked Ruth to come eat with his workers and then told them to not only let her glean among them, but even purposely left grain for her to find. He leaves grain for her to find. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. I mean, that would have been an amazing amount of finished grain. We're talking 30 to 40 pounds of grain. That's a lot of work. That woman worked hard. 30 to 40 pounds of grain? And, but what does she pull out of her pocket. I mean, leftovers from lunch she saved for whom? For Naomi. For Naomi. And those two details had to have an incredible impact on Naomi's faith. Because when you read in chapter 3, we understand that Ruth loved God by taking appropriate risks. She knew that it was dangerous for her to go out in that field to glean. She knew that. But she did it out of love for Naomi. She risked her life. Now, why else would Boaz say, don't you touch this woman? Don't you touch this woman? Ruth loved God by taking appropriate risks, by listening to someone whom God was growing alongside her. Naomi told Ruth to go present herself to Boaz as an invitation. As an invita- you know how, how Ruth uh, presented herself to Boaz while he was sleeping? She curls up right where his feet are at in a fetal-like position, which in the Old Testament Jewish way of saying it was a proposal for marriage. That's what it meant. That's a Jewish euphemism. It was an Old Testament proposal for marriage. In other words, Ruth is saying to this man, I want you to marry me. It's kind of, that's kind of sort of backwards. Usually it's the man. This woman is presenting herself. Available. I'm available for marriage to Boaz. Won't you take me to be your wife? That's what she's saying. <laughs> so countercultural. And Boaz, when he saw it, he woke up and saw her. 
he knew exactly what she was doing. He knew exactly what she was doing. And what's the punchline, right? Naomi sends her out. So happens, you see all this providential thing going on. Is there a punchline here that we can learn? I think if there is, it's perhaps it's this. Perhaps there's someone in your life, or, or many in your life, rather, who are so far away from the Lord in all sorts of ways. I mean, what kind of fruit do they need to taste in your life? Dare I ask you not to give up on that person? They need to taste the Spirit's fruit of love in whatever form is needed in the moment. If they messed up, okay, we mess up, right? And some more grievously than others. But I think showing them a bit of love, showing them that you care for them, at the need of the moment, perhaps you could be that providential turning point in that person's life that they need, right? I mean, obviously there comes a point in which we've all done all that we could do, right? And I mean, We can only do so much. But if the door remains open, walk in it. Walk in it. If they slam the door, we can try knocking, do the best we can. Do the best we can to try knocking. But if it remains open, then just, I think we should walk in. I, I love the story of Ruth. Because I see in her life, she trusted the Lord to work in circumstances that were outside of her control. Sometimes there are circumstances that are just outside of our control. Outside of our control. It's interesting how many cliffhangers there are in this book because Boaz explains there's actually a closer relative and he has given to, uh, he has to, to um, that owns the land and so he offers the land to his closer relative to give this person the opportunity first. But he rejects the opportunity and then Boaz buys the land and in buying the land who he is the kingsman redeemer, he now has the opportunity to marry Ruth marry Ruth, and to take care of, of all people, Naomi. Because she loves God, Ruth loves God and knows that he can be trusted. As a result, last point, Ruth loved God by shining a spotlight on redemption. I mean, the imagery is absolutely so rich. You have the integrity of Boaz's redemption. You want to say to Boaz, I mean, can, can, we, can we skip all the technicalities? <laughs> The answer is no, because his redemption of Ruth is a picture of our Lord's redemption for us. Have you thought about that? His redemption of Ruth is a picture of our Lord's redemption for us. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son, a son, a son rather, born in Bethlehem, And then in verses 14 and 15, it says this, Then the woman said to Naomi, the women, listen to this, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. You see that? I mean, what was the lady's summary comment about Ruth? She loves you and is better to you than seven sons. She loves you, she loves you, she loves you. And as people watch the way that we, you and I 
how we relate to each other, how often would they have reason to observe the fruit of biblical love? And so I think you could ask, we could ask, are there things that we would have to change that could make that happen more frequently? I mean, it's somewhat humorous that the focus switches rather dramatically to Naomi. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. Then the neighbor woman gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. And she goes from being bitter to a grandma. (laughs) But note the cliffhanger. Note this. Note what happens here. So they named him Obed. Obed is the father of Jesse, the father of King David. King David, the king of Israel. And it's through that line, it's through that lineage where you have the great redeemer to whom all of this points out. This little baby is an ancestor of King David, who of course is an ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, who loved us so that he redeemed you, bought you from the marketplace of sin. Why? Because he set his great love upon you, a love that none of us deserve. He is your kinsman redeemer. It's Jesus Christ. And so I say to you, In closing, remember Christ, what he did for you on the cross, bought you out of the field of this world so that you can belong to him. We call that the bride of Christ. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this morning, this afternoon. Oh, Lord, the story of redemption is amazing. We could look back in the Old Testament and we could see the wonders of your love and grace. And Lord, I do pray that we would be reminded of this love. And if there's anyone here who is struggling with love, I pray that you would use your people as conduits of grace and love to a people who so desperately need it. We need love, Lord. And in your providence, we know that you will give it because it is a fruit of the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.